Welcome to another episode of Paleo Runner Podcast, a show helping you find better ways to live, run, and eat. I'm your host, Aaron Olson. The website for the show is paleorunner.org. Follow me on facebook.com slash runpaleo or on Twitter at runpaleo. The sponsor for the show is 3Fuel. 3Fuel is a sports drink that gives you fat, protein, and carbohydrates. It's made from coconut, grass-fed whey protein, and a slow-releasing starch. To get 10% off your order, go to 3Fuel.com and use the promo code 3FOLSON. I'm here today speaking with TJ Murphy. TJ is author of two recent books, Unbreakable Runner and Ready to Run. TJ, it's great to have you on the show. Hey, Aaron. Thanks so much. Appreciate being here. Yeah, TJ, I'm, I'm really interested in, in hearing about how you got uh, started with the idea that you know less volume and strength training might somehow make you a better runner. What, when did you first get interested in this idea? Well, it, it, uh, it was one of those things that sort of forced me to get interested in it because uh, I'm, I'm 50 years old. I'm sorry, 51 years old now. And um, so I've been running since the late 1970s and I did my first uh, long triathlon in 1983 and my first marathon in 1989. And I piled up, piled a lot of miles into the training for both of those and every other race in between everything from the 1500 meters um, up through the Ironman. And uh, I'd say about 10 years ago, my rate of injury, which I'd always had, and I think a lot of runners just sort of assume that's part of the bargain. We're runners, we're putting our weekly mileage and we, we have injuries and we just have to do our best to, uh, to get out of them as soon as we can so we don't lose too much fitness. Well, over the last 10 years, my rate of injury spiked upward. Um, the amount of time I was running just fell downward and to the point where, um, I'd say from 2007 to 2010, it's a really rough ride. I, I was at that point, I think a fair number of runners come to you where, or older runners, I should say, where like, I think I'm done. I think I need a knee replacement or something. And maybe I should just ride a bike or be a swimmer, you know? And, uh, well, so I started reporting on, um, this new thing called CrossFit Endurance for Triathlete Magazine. And uh, quite honestly, when I started the story, I was planning on kind of like ripping it. Um, <laughs> that, that that idea that weight training could somehow uh, make up for or do the do the bulk or a great amount of work that that weight that running just mileage would do was sort of antithetical to everything I'd kind of stood for and believed. I was very much a classic Lydiard guy for a long time, but um, then. Oddly enough, while I was reporting on the story, I developed this limp that was so severe I couldn't get rid of it. And that's, I honestly did think I needed a knee replacement. So I actually, the guy that I was writing about and had been interviewing, and the more I listened to his interviews, the more I, uh, I had to say that, you know, there might be a there there. And it reminded me, uh, of the great runner Sebastian Coe back in the circa 1980, who did a lot of, Quite honestly, he was doing CrossFit before CrossFit ever became a word. Um, so he was a guy that was, you know, doing world records at uh, 800 meters through the mile um, off of, from my understanding, he never went over 60 miles per week, which, you know, a lot of the world-class milers are 100 mile per week guys. So anyway, mm-hmm. I, that's how, how I got into it. And the, 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 the punctuation mark was that 
after, after like four weeks of CrossFit, um, style training, I felt better in so many ways and was able to run again. The limp had vanished. Um, all of these good things had happened. And so I realized that there was something there. So that's kind of a long answer to your, your, your question, <laughs> I'm afraid. Uh, what kind of, what kind of running had you done beforehand? Uh, what were your, what were your marathon times, half marathon and, and how did, did sure. you see improvements, uh, since, uh, you know, trying CrossFit or the lower was and well, let's just go with that. Did you see improvements? Well, yeah, you, you have to put it in the context that I've been doing this a long time. So my marathon PR was set in 1991. Um, so I, were you even alive then, Aaron? I don't know how old you are. <laughs> <laughs> I was born in 82. Okay. All right. Well, uh, um, so 1991, uh, the Calor National Marathon, and I ran a 238 marathon. And that was off of uh, 60 miles a week sort of training. Um, uh, so that, that to, to date, that's my marathon PR. So I was in my mid-20s at the time. So I'm twice that age. So I, I and, and, and probably a year or two after that, um, I did a lot of experimenting. Um, cause here's the thing. I, I trained really hard for that. I did a 238. I, and I thought, wow, I broke 240. And then I remember looking at the results list and it's still online. I came in like 80th place and I'm like, man, I, I just, uh, I was like, wow, I, I thought the world of that, of breaking 240 and it was something I definitely think anybody should be proud of, but, um, I was still in no man's land. So I realized that running was just going to be a passion for me. I was never going to be a professional runner. But so I did things like drop down to the 1500 meters a couple of years after that. And I ran a 406, 1500 at maybe 28 years old, which was faster than the sort of stuff I did when I was in high school. Uh, 10,000 meters, like a 32 minute flat. And I had a 15 minute flat, 5,000. Um, so that, that, those are all done in my twenties. Uh, and then well, I kind of are you, is this are you you're running these kind of times just as your passion, not professionally? Yeah, yeah. That, no, I was uh, I was a guy. Um, I loved it. You know, mm-hmm. I, I acted like I was a professional, but I uh, I worked at a running shoe store in San Francisco. Um, my my friends were runners. We were we did a lot of training together. Um, but uh, yeah, I wasn't uh, certainly was nothing of the sort like a professional. These were all just things. I did because I loved being an athlete, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so you, you, you know, you're, you're, you're getting older, you're getting injured more. Uh, you go to write a story about, uh, Brian McKenzie's CrossFit endurance. And, uh, he, the way he, he tells it is that you, you came in there limping and he's like, if you're going to write the story, you, you got to try this out. Is that kind of how it went down? Well, not really. Uh, he, it, it was sort of a thing. I, I think that that was kind of, um, within the context of our conversations, but, um, I actually more or less after I listened to him at a certain point and I, I, I had absolutely no logical reason to not try it because every other thing that I'd tried and I'd tried my fair share of physical therapy, um, stretching all of these things. And, uh, one thing that was clear and I'm looking at it now from having written co-authored the book with Brian, but also the book with Kelly Starrett, ready to run. I see these things in a whole different light and like there's one thing to put ice on your injury and ha- make that little bit of pain go away. And then, all right, I'm going to go out and see if I can get my tempo running today. Whole other thing to go, all right, what's, what's at the root of this? Mm-hmm. And you can't just blame running. Like, uh, this is to, to quote Kelly Sturette, who's the physical therapist, 
New York Times bestselling author, Matt, just, he's the, to me, he's just like a great expert on athletic movement. Um, if you have a pain, and Brian McKenzie subscribes this fully, uh, if there's a pain, that ache in the Achilles tendon, or it's an iliotibial band syndrome thing, or a runner's knee, whatever, that's not just some expression of you training a lot. There's something you're doing mechanically wrong. There's some mobility problem or uh, bio- biomechanical loop that you're practicing. Maybe it's the way your, your foot's striking the pavement. Maybe it's some sort of hip function thing. Maybe you're really tight on one side, not the other. Uh, and, you know, most runners are, are they're, they're dealing with this, these tightness problems all the time. Um, and so these guys are really about, like, let's, let's take things a step back. And, like, how are you moving? Like, what, what's, what is the, the root cause of this chronic Achilles tendon problem you have? And then, so you reconstruct things from there. And the, the weight training, Brian McKenzie gets slapped with like this thing, this image that he's just about to get into the weight room and do lots of heavy weights, but that's not it at all. He's, you, you, you use the weight room, quite frankly, the way Alberto Salazar does with his athletes and they do it. Um, you know, Joe Veal's athletes were, were all, um, going to the weight room, but McKenzie's purpose is so that you've got the stamina to support good movement. So first of all, you get the good movement down, you really make running a skill, and then you come in with strength training, be it body weight or with weights, to sort of give um, your physiology the stamina so that when you're in the 24th mile of the marathon, your form is as good as it was in the, the first five miles. So uh, it's a whole different way of looking at it. And and just to for me, the immediate effects were, here. I'm a guy that I was an editor uh, editorial director of a ma- bunch of magazines, which meant that I spent a lot of time sitting in a chair, like a lot of people in this country do. We have a lot of us have office jobs. Well, that's gonna if you're doing that that and you do it with poor posture, especially, uh, you're you're gonna decrease your hip function. You're gonna uh, introduce problems in there that you go out and get your morning run in, but you spend the rest of your day sitting in a bad position. There's no way you're not going to be affected by that. There's no way that that's not going to somehow tweak you in a way that if you're doing mileage, low mileage or high mileage, you're probably going to tweak something. So that's the way I've been looking at it since um, I did the story uh, on Brian. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, part of the this story that intrigues me is that you've got multiple variables going on here. I mean, it seems like uh, Brian and Kelly's programs, they focus on uh, functional movements but they also seem to emphasize less volume. So how do you know if it's the less volume that's helping you? You know, maybe your body, maybe you were just always overtrained before and your body's finally able to recover. Or how do you know whether it's the strength and mobility that's helping? Well, in my case, I couldn't run at all, you know, for a couple of years. So it was zero volume. And uh, um, so, and I know for a fact that, um, in my case, uh, practicing the ideas that Kelly and Brian were teaching, uh, I'll, first of all, it allowed me to run again. And, um, and, and for the first six months, it was extremely low volume running, but I remember doing a little test. I did a, uh, an anaerobic threshold test and I was astounded to see that my, um, my AT level was, at the same, maybe a little bit better than it had been the last time I was able to do like a, 
like a continuous nine months of conventional training. So uh, even though I was only doing like eight miles per week, and now the, the here's the factor there. Um, first of all, Kelly doesn't really say that you should be, do low volume. That's more of a Brian thing. Kelly's not a running coach. He's a movement coach. He's talking about um, mobility mechanics for runners. Brian's a guy that creates the programs for runners who want to use these ideas um, uh, for their sport. Um, with Brian's program, this whole, again, I go back to Sebastian Coe, and if you pick up a book called, I think it's Winning Running, written by his dad, who was his coach, and uh, it's remarkable. Um, if I, you don't mind, I'm going to tell you this quick story. I just think it's really valuable when you're discussing the, this thing, uh, low volume versus high volume. But um, So Peter Coe, you know, um, he's, he's British, he's an engineer, he realizes his son at like the age of 11 or 12 years old has a talent for running. Um, so he takes him, you know, in, in, in England, you go to uh, the local running club. That's kind of their system. And the first thing I wanted to do with Sebastian Coe is one variable. And that was just get this kid as fast as possible or, or quickly as possible to a high level of mileage. So, and I have to say that that's, you know, we all know that works like high volume mileage. If you can sustain it produces fitness. And that was, well, Peter Coe looked at it and he's a guy that doesn't come from the running world at all, but just sort of the scientific engineer guy goes, uh, hold on. I just don't think that's right. Like he's, he, he, he immediately just sensed that this is just going to beat my kid up. Um, so he became his son's coach and ultimately they developed, uh, a training program, and I, I'm sure Peter Coe talked to every expert he could he could talk to. But Sebastian Coe's program was the, the quintessential low mileage program. Um, I, as I mentioned, I from from the writings that I've found, he never went over 60 miles a week, and he was more of a 40 mile a week guy. And and as I, I recall it being written about uh, Sebastian Coe in British winters, the weather is really harsh, and I think it was Kenny Moore did the reporting on this. Like, how does this guy run, you know, world-breaking times, world-record-breaking times in the mile, the 1,500 meters, the 800 meters on such low mileage? Arthur Lydia didn't believe it. But, but I think it was Kenny Moore's observation that uh, he's doing these circuit training workouts inside a gym that were not only their body weight, but they also used weights, very high intensity, Quite frankly, very similar to CrossFit. They're, they're working a wide range of energy systems in these workouts, but it's also a functional movement. So he's going out through these full ranges of motion, uh, squats, burpees, pull-ups, um, all of these, all these kind of things you sort of subscribed to the CrossFit gym. But Co used to do that and he was clearly getting a stamina and endurance benefit there too. So that's the Brian McKenzie thing. It's like, all right, we know that high mileage, at least for some, especially anybody who's got biomechanical problems is probably going to beat them up to the point where they they're so injured they can't run anymore what if we we use some of this high intensity functional fitness training this crossfit style training to supplant uh those easy runs like let's have those key runs let's have the tempo runs the interval workouts the fast hard long runs but let's lower the overall volume instead let's go do a 20 minute body weight workout and i having no knowledge of this before until I started trying it, you get it pretty quickly. When you go and do one of these classic CrossFit workouts, like one's called Cindy, and it's 20, minute, 20 minutes of pull-ups, push-ups, and squats, and 
I, I wore a heart rate monitor to see kind of like what kind of training I was getting. And it's very high intensity and you're not beaten up. In fact, and plus you get this amazing mobility workout, strength workout, and, and a workout that kind of works on your, um, your coordination as well. So that, as opposed to like going out for an easy one hour run, which is what I normally would do on an off day or easy day, I should say big difference. So, uh, again, I go, I, Brian McKenzie is the creator, creator of the CrossFit endurance program, but I think it's been done in various shades. And I think Sebastian Coe is like a terrific example of someone who used it toward extremely high levels of performance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I remember reading, uh, Seb Coe's or Peter Coe's work and it was really interesting. Uh, you know, at, at the same time in a lot of the running magazines, they're, they're always pushing higher mileage, it seems like, but, uh, yeah. but you read what he was doing and, and it's interesting to see all those, those things come back around again. So yeah. it's, it's hard for me to wrap my mind around how doing a burpee or a squat or something like that translates to running though. In, in your experience, it, I guess it obviously does. What is, what are, how does that actually happen? Do you know the physiology of that? Because if I go on a, say I go on a rowing machine, I don't think that's going to translate much to running. Uh, do you? And and how how does you know how do these different movements get incorporated into you know faster faster times? Well, uh, let let's you know that I'm speaking for the likes of uh, Kelly Starrett and Brian McKenzie on this, and uh, they're the true experts. Um, I'm the reporter here, mm-hmm. but uh, um, I think a good way to answer this question is like let's look at what it has become, especially in the eighties and nineties, uh, and before cross it really took hold, what was the classic strength workout? Like uh, runners using weights is not a new concept. Like, but, the, right. but if you go back to like the nineties, um, the way, uh, an endurance athlete might go get a weight training workout is, is to go to the gym and there are the Nautilus machines or the Cybex machines. There's that circle of machines. Now, those machines are designed to work on muscles in an isolated way. You go on the quadriceps machine, and it's this thing you sit in, and you just kind of, you know, and a lot of physical therapists used to recommend these sorts of exercises to prevent knee injury. But, but uh, again, to uh, channel uh, McKenzie and, and Starrett on this, that's an example. That's not a valid movement. Like, that's you're using muscles don't work in isolated fashion. When we run... Running is a functional movement. We're using a lot of different muscles. But uh, one of the things about running, especially slower running, is that uh, it's not a, you're not using a very wide range of motion with, um, with your, your various muscle groups that are involved. So let's say that all my training, let's say I'm a guy that's running, just for the sake of conversation, 100 miles a week. Um, over the course of 12 weeks, I'm going to do a base building period. And that's, and all of my training, except for maybe a little bit of stretching afterward or whatever, is running. Well, you're using one very specific movement pattern. That's, you might call that uh, specific um, training over and over and over. But what if you've got biomechanical dis- dis- uh, inefficiencies, mobility inefficiencies, muscle imbalances or weak muscles? Well, your body's pretty good at like, rewiring things and all of a sudden high mileage you're doing first of all sort of uh really can deepen poor motor patterns which ultimately will lead to injury this is why high mileage can lead to injury um now what if 
I do this thing called a, a squat or a burpee. These are functional movements. You can look, you can look at the, 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 mo- the range of motion. You're using more range of motion in a squat or in a burpee. You're using all these different trunk models. Again, so compared to that isolated movement in the old gym and in the gym with all the machines, when you're doing um, movement training, whether it's a deadlift, a squat, um, a burpee, which are the push-ups, which are popular movements in CrossFit gyms, you're using a collection of, of muscles. And, uh, and the word functional comes in is because when I lift up, let's say I lift up a bale of hay, I'm using all sorts of muscles in a coordinated fashion. And that strength, if you're doing it well, or doing it right, you're using those big trunk muscles, the core muscles. That's where most of the power is through the extremities in a fashion that's coordinated. And it's not like when you get on the machine and do an arm curl and you're just trying to work your bicep, that's a totally different thing. So a burpee is a functional movement. You're using a lot of muscles in a, in a, in a different range of motion. And so is a squat. So you're using the muscles and you're using the heart and you're using the circulation system and, and uh, you're taxing yourself, your energy, various energy systems. Why would that not translate to the movement of running? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and it gives you a break from the, if you're looped in and doing the same pattern over and over and over. And someone who's been a runner for a long, long time, I know very well when I see a 25 year old runner or a 30 year old runner, runner, and I live in Boston now, and there's a lot of runners around here and I see bad mechanics. I see those duck feet when their people are running down the sidewalk and they're landing on their heels and their feet are ducking outward and their knees are caving in. And I know they can get away with it for a while. But I know there's a day when that all comes to home to roost and each, t- each little step they're taking, they're grinding away soft tissues. They're, they're taking a toll on their connective tissues. And one day you may have to say, I have to quit running. And that's, I just don't want to see that happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so for, for you personally, how is your running, how is your running doing now? How much are you training and what are you up to? Well, I, uh, here I am. I'm a, I'm another odd character in that as even though I'm an older guy, I'm also a uh, first time father. So we just had a baby a little while ago. So my training right now is just to stay healthy. Um, but, uh, starting this next year, the, my goal is going to be one of the, here's one of the things I found, uh, I think will appeal to a lot of older runners who love track, who love running. Um, I never would have imagined that I could, uh, and my, my, when I was in my mid forties, the idea of like going dropping down to run an eight hundred or fifteen hundred just seemed unfathomable to me. But now, uh, again, I'm going back to that functional strength training and the mobility stuff that Kelly teaches, and I'm like, yes, I can. I've 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 recouped so much range of motion that I'd lost for so many years. Um, like, for example, um, well, I remember when I first, first CrossFit work I went to, and I, I was 48, 49 at the time, and they put a plyometric box in front of me, and they say, we're going to do box jumps. So a standard plyometric exercise, it's a common in all CrossFit gyms. And I'm looking at that box, I think it was 18-inch box, and I'm like, there's no way. There was no way I could come close to jumping on that box. I did, and I'm pulling out a 12-inch box, and I'm struggling to jump onto that thing. Well, with, with a year of CrossFit training under my belt, I, in workouts with, um, number, like a set of box jumps, you, you do rounds, uh, for each workout, you typically, and I'd be doing, you know, 15 to 20 box jumps per round, maybe three to five rounds. 
and the box is 24 inches. And I could do, and I should do a max jump into a 30 inch box. That's my personal record. Now, I promise you that I don't think I could have done that when I was 25, unless I'd trained for it specifically. So I was really quite surprised at how much athletic capacity I'd recovered. But the biggest thing, and I, you know, I think when you get to my age, you're running, you want to perform well. Like I know, uh, I know guys that, that want to race, you know, on the roads or whatever until the last day they, that they're alive. Um, but, uh, you bought the bottom line is we also want to be healthy and, um, there's something wrong. If the kind of running you're doing like I was leaves you at the age of 45, a shipwreck, like, and I wrote in the book, um, I was, there I was editorial director of all these endurance magazines in San Diego. And there was a time my back would go out. And, and I would have to get around the office and my f- coworkers are just looking at me kind of like disturbed by the image. I had to use the tops of cub- cubicles like a walker. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> and that's a, that's a true story. And there I, I'm like, I've tried to live my life in a way where health and fitness is at the center, but I've done something fundamentally wrong here. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I'm excited about the idea of like uh, going to the National Master's uh, track and field championships this summer. My, my, my son is going to be more than a year old that time. So I, I, it's doable to travel and do all that stuff. And, um, and I'm excited. I'm like, I'm going to enter things like the 800, the 1500. And I, I hope I perform well, but just the, the fact that I'm able to, to do this stuff and jump in a race, um, is great. If I was 25 and I was discovering this stuff, I, I bet I've been asked this question. I go, I, I understand why I, I don't, and Brian McKenzie will tell you he's not against high mileage. Mm-hmm. He is. If you're somebody who works 40 hours a week, has a family, and doesn't have much time to train, he's got a program for you that can get a lot of that impact out of a lot little time. But if you were to train an elite runner, they would be doing high mileage, you know, and uh, um, they'd also be doing a lot of other stuff, which I actually think there's this cross section because I think if you look at um, the camps like in Mammoth Lakes and up in uh, Eugene, uh, you're seeing a lot of functional strength training. You're seeing a lot of weight training. You're seeing high mileage too. I think for an elite runner, it's a bit of a different ball game. Um, I'm not, and I, we, we're, we're pretty blatant about that in the book. It's like, we're not saying this is the only way to train. We're just saying that this, this might be an alternative for someone who has had troubles with injuries, uh, who is interested in getting functional strength part of full spectrum training and you might want to do the whole nine yards of it um so and Mackenzie would tell you that like if you said I only want to do one CrossFit workout a week that's not his program his program is more like about four of those three to four or maybe five in some cases but he'd tell you well you know what you're gonna get a lot of benefit that one CrossFit workout per week go ahead and do your 60 miles a week of running that one cross and just see how it works for you so I guess that's a, that's our message with these books. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So he also talks about nutrition in uh, Unbreakable Runner, or I guess sure. you guys write about that. Is that something that you've switched up as well? Yeah, that's a whole other narrative. Um, uh, and I I talk about this briefly in the book. Like we, it wasn't a diet book; it was a training book. But um, I, I wanted to point out that it, and uh, that there's been a you know. A, 
an entire trend in the whole sports nutrition area. There's a lot of controversy. There's uh, experts on either side, especially when it comes to high carbohydrate versus low carbohydrate. And, uh, and I think there's a lot of discussion still to be had. Um, but I, I do believe there's been a fundamental shift from the, and I talk about this in the book from what we talk, what we, believed in the 1980s compared to what we, the way we think now in the 1980s, it was the age of the Pritikin diet, which was super low fat, low protein, high carbohydrate. Um, and we do know for a fact that, uh, a high, high carbohydrate diet, um, especially if you're sedentary, there's, there's some, uh, some things to be added to it when you're talking about an athlete. But if you're sedentary and you're eating a high carbohydrate diet, well, all you got to do is go like I did yesterday. I went to the grocery store, the market basket here near me in Boston. And I, I just always freak out a little bit. I just see all of these Americans that are quite frankly, they're, they're obese. They're technically obese. And I know because they're technically obese, they're, they're on their way to type two diabetes. They're pre-diabetic. Um, and this is, I write about this. I think I wrote about this in the book, but, uh, when I couldn't run for a while, um, and when it really got bad and I got pretty depressed and I kind of gave up on trying to cross train my way through it and I was still eating my high carbohydrate diet, I gained a lot of weight and I actually had my blood tested and I was pre-diabetic. Um, and this is when I started writing about various diets. And the first one I did was, uh, the Barry Sears zone diets, which it gets labeled a high protein diet, but it's not, it's a, it's balanced. It's like 40, 30, 30. It's, it's lower in carbohydrate, higher in fat, higher in protein. And I remember how dramatically how just the way I felt changed in a week. And uh, um, now when you get into uh, these super low carbohydrate diets, which uh, I think is an interesting discussion and like a pure paleo diet, um, I think there's a lot of room, you know, for personal experimentation. And that's kind of the point in the book. But uh, um if I answered your question, I I'm, yeah yeah. Well, it, I mean, are you still doing the zone diet then, or are, are you experimenting with lower carbs, or what are you personally doing? You know, I I, I tried uh, experimenting with um, the um, super low carb diet a little bit last spring. I was training for a big event. Actually, I got very fit last spring, even though we had a baby. But I I was doing article for Outside Magazine, which is coming out in um, December. So I I was extremely fit back. My running was really good too. Um, but it was an all around fitness I needed for this event. And, uh, I did the, uh, I did a super low car- carbohydrate diet. And I, in, in the event, <laughs> I hit the wall so hard. Uh, I'd burned through my glycogen stores in like a, you know, 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. And there, it was interesting. I, I didn't really get a chance to talk too much about all of this in the story, but, uh, for outside, but, um, it made me realize that um, I think I think Joel Friel has one of the books out on the on the paleo diet. He wrote it with Lauren Cordain, mm-hmm. uh, and I, I and Mark Devine um, has written about this too. I think when you're talking about an endurance athlete, um, just like completely eradicating uh, beans and rice is probably not the best solution. Right. Again, this is not for like I, I think. Uh, I think you can probably do again. I'm just guessing. I, 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 there's a lot to be said and learned about this entire subject. And I think every individual is different when it comes to diet, but, um, I think you can probably do it off of a, a pure paleo diet 
but um, I think you really just have to make sure you get lots and lots of um, vegetables and uh, fruits, uh, carbohydrates, because you are, you know, burning glycogen, especially if you're, you know, racing distances like the 5,000, um, you know, a marathon and beyond a marathon, it's a little bit of a different picture, but uh, you burn, you know, you need those glycogen stores then too. So, yeah. Uh, uh, for me, I, I, I'd say, yeah, I'm definitely kind of a zone diet guy right now. Um, and I did do that because I, my energy levels feel good throughout the day. So for everyone listening, I, we, we, I'll, I'll have to edit this out, but we had some technical difficulties and, uh, you were just mentioning that you, you pretty much follow the, the zone diet and that kind of keeps you feeling good. Yeah. I, I like the zone. Like I, I think Barry Sears, uh, deserves a lot of credit for, uh, in the mid nineties, he brought up the idea that, um, high carbohydrate, high starch, high sugar diets, uh, are not healthy. And that, um, buying and that, and that the idea that, uh, a high fat diet or moderate fat, I should say, um, to quote him, uh, is actually healthy, uh, that, and if you look at his, at his recipes and, and I've interviewed Barry Sears a couple of times and, uh, he's like, look, my diet is not extreme by any measure. It's your grandmother's diet. And he's right. It's like, you know, eat, eat, um, small to medium portions, eat a balanced diet, take your fish oil and, um, drink a lot of water, you know, and, uh, it's, uh, stay away from, um, you know, massive amounts of pasta. You can have some, but uh, he he just cautions balance and um, moderation. So mm-hmm. that, that's kind of my guiding post these days. Gotcha. So, TJ, if you were to go back or let's say you were about to train for a, a half marathon or marathon, because that's what a lot of our listeners are, are interested in, what what do you think you would do different now nowadays that you've got this new knowledge well, um, the thing I, I advocate is, uh, is add, add a little bit of it. First of all, if you're, if you don't have a problem, like if everything is going great and you're, you're PRing after PR, um, I, I'd say I, I'm, I'm no one to tell you to change. Um, I, I think, uh, the thing I would probably tell that runner is, you know, I, I, I look at Kelly Sturrett's website, mobilitywad.com. Um, check out the book, Ready to Run. And just adds, like, because he's talking to runners of all types. Like, he's, again, he's not preaching low mileage or high mileage. He's like, if you're running and you want to run, he's like, your body is designed to go 110 years. You know, you can easily diminish that by doing things poorly. But, uh, but by practicing a few simple rules and adding 10 minutes a day of mobility work, um, you can, you can, you can get some life insurance there and you can, you can get a bit of a buffer. Um, so I, I really think the starting point, like I would recommend to any runner, I be a Kara Goucher, uh, to my neighbor who's doing his first half marathon. Um, that's awesome. You know, um, if you're, tr- if you like the training you're doing, I, I see no reason to train, change it. But the two things I would look at would be number one, adding 10 minutes of mobility work a day. And that's like using a foam roller or a lacrosse ball and working on those tissues that surround those joints that get so much abuse. Work on the, the feet, work on the, uh, the lower ankle, work around the knees, the hips and the lower back, the upper back. Um, when you run, things are getting tight. 
spend some time counterbalancing that. Um, and secondly, the other thing, and this is more of a long-term project, but uh, start thinking about the about how you're you're running. Like, um, if you're slapping, here here's the thing. I'm quoting uh, uh, Nick Romanoff, um, the one who created uh, Pose Running and uh, the so you know former Soviet Union scientist and a physicist. But he 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 has the observation in his book that go to a running race and watch the fast guys come through. And listen, I said, watch, but I mean, listen, listen to the sounds of their, their feet hitting the pavement. When the Kenyans sweep by at, you know, five minute pace, you don't hear them touching the ground or you barely hear them. But when you, when the, the, uh, three and a half hour marathoners start coming by the four marathons, things get louder and louder. You hear the slapping of the pavement. You see much more, you know, deeper heel strikes. You see mechanics that you can just if you watch you know they're doing some destruction so i i my uh my thing there is to begin on kind of a journey um of moving well and that i i think ultimately that might lead to doing some uh, functional strength training it doesn't have to be crossfit doesn't have to be crossfit endurance but uh, i think um adding some strength training and some um some working on your mechanics with proper drills jumping rope is a really good one uh, with just making sure that, uh, and I, I'm quoting a, an assistant professor at Florida A&M, Dr. Brian Hickey. This guy is, I think this guy is like who I wish I'd been over the course of my running career. He ran at Syracuse in track. He's still, as a master's athlete, he's a, he's a duathlete and a track guy, and he records great performances. I think he's nationally ranked. Um, and he practices CrossFit endurance long before he ever met or heard of Brian McKenzie. It's very low mileage. He thinks of every step in his running as like, it's, it's like, I've got this savings account of money I'm putting down, I'm spending it. He's like, make every step count. So what he does to that effect is he, um, he's really smart about every workout. When he does a running workout, he knows the purpose of that running workout. Um, and he does the functional strength training. He uses the kettlebell, and he, he gets as much fitness as he can from those things, which are low impact, but have a lot of value in terms of your overall mobility, mechanics, and coordination, which he believes. And I think he might be a good interview for you sometime. He's a great interview. This, his knowledge is amazing. Um, translates so well into uh, your running performance. You can't do it all by that stuff, but if you do um, – intermix those types of workouts with very specific running workouts to get a lot of value. So again, to that runner who might be interested in this stuff, I'd be like, take one day, like, let's say you've got a recovery day is typically like a, a 40 minute easy run as junk mileage or whatever you want to call it. That's like your easy run. It's a recovery run. Um, I would sub, if you want to try this stuff, I'd, ex- I'd experiment with one of these functional strength training workouts that Brian has, um, or go to a CrossFit gym once a week. Try one of those things. Just tell them you're a runner, and then you want to be careful not get hurt. They'll work with you, and just see what what happens. Um, uh, I think over the long run, it's going to have a lot of value. And I think, uh, and I'm quoting Kelly and Brian on this. One of the things that that they've seen when you've got an injury and there's a mechanical imbalance or a muscle imbalance or a mechanical problem, when you correct that problem with either better better mechanics better positions, better mobility, um, or, or smarter training, 
you not only prevent injury, but you actually like find a new pocket of performance to be unleashed, a little bit more power, a little bit more efficiency. And I, I think it's, for me, I'm like, if I could go back 20 years, um, I would definitely do this stuff and experiment and just see what works on an individual basis because I think I'd enjoy my, I would have enjoyed my training more, probably been able to race a lot more, had less injuries, and the, the, da- the permanent damage that I'm sure that I did to some of my joints, I wouldn't have right now. So um, that's kind of my spiel. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I've got two questions to, to get to before I let you go. The first is, sure. what have you had to eat today? I ask everyone who comes on the show to just share what they had uh, for breakfast or lunch so far. Sure. Um, I've only had, I've had breakfast and I haven't had lunch yet, which is bad. But uh, my breakfast was two eggs with a lot of kale, some broccoli, and a little bit of cheese and water and coffee. Mm-hmm. And the final question is called is, is something a segment that I've been calling the magic mile, and it has to do with how fast do you think you could run a mile if you had three months to train? You didn't have to worry about your job or paying your bills. Oh wow, twelve weeks. Yep. Um, I didn't have to worry about my job or family or uh, paying my bills. Mm-hmm. Um, twelve weeks. I I think it's probably I, I think I could could break five minutes which I think at my age would probably be pretty decent. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. Awesome. Well, how about, how about I put you down for 459? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds good. Um, wh- what do you plan on running that 800 and that you're going to be doing for the master's track? Uh, well, my, my, the goal that I've written down is to, um, I got two goals. Like for sure I want to break 215, but I'd like to get under 210. Okay. Awesome. Great. Well, TJ, it was great talking with you today. And I just want to say thanks so much for being on the show. Thanks, Aaron. I really appreciate it. Fun talking with you. And, uh, you know, I I actually forgot one thing. Where should people go to find out more about you and follow you online? Sure. Uh, Twitter, it's um, burning underscore runner. And then um, tjmurphy.net is uh, my homepage. Great. All right. Well, thanks again, TJ. Thanks, Aaron. Take care. Thanks for listening to another Paleo Runner podcast. If you like podcasts, you're also going to like Audible.com. Audible has over 100,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Kindle, Android, or MP3 player. You can even burn a CD of the audiobook if you like. It's a great way to learn while you're driving in the car or cleaning up around the house. One of the great things about Audible is that if you decide that you don't like the book you've downloaded, you can actually exchange it for another one. They want you to be happy with your order. If you'd like to get a free audiobook download, sign up at audibletrial.com slash paleorunner. You'll get a free audiobook download that you can keep regardless of whether you continue with the service or not. So go to audibletrial.com slash paleorunner. Thanks for listening.